This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Catherine Klein. And we are delighted to be here with you for another series of great conversations about, uh, you know, inspiration and action uh, around business and social impact. Dollars and Change is live on Sirius XM channel 132 every Thursday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern and also replayed throughout the week. You can download the Sirius app and listen to us there. And we're excited to talk with four great guests today to bring you some interesting stories, information, uh, you know, food for thought, um, and to talk about how it might be relevant to our listeners' lives. It's great. And I'm, I'm, I haven't been in the studio for a while, so I'm delighted to be back here. And, you know, Sandy, I'm also, it's, I'm always so excited to do our show because we really get to turn to the positive. Oh, you boy. Know, we yes. Tu- we turn to the positive. There's a lot of bad news in the, uh, in you know in, that we read every day on social media and mainstream media, and it's just great to have a, a, a deep dive and in conversations about people who are making a difference in the world. So yeah, absolutely. Well, someone asked me recently if we if we enjoyed doing the show. Like, oh, right, you know, it's an interesting component of our jobs. Do right. you enjoy doing it? And I said we love doing it for two reasons. One for exactly the reason you just said. There's a lot of tough stuff out there, and it's great to be able to bring people stories of solutions and optimism. And the second reason I said is that social impact is no longer something only some people professionally have to care about. Like it is becoming such an integral part of so many industries and professions and the next generation of work. And, you know, you you sort of can't not be involved in this dialogue somehow. And I love that in, you know, half hour segments, we can bring people some complex topics in a way that is hopefully digestible and fun. Yeah. Yeah, So we're delighted to be here. Listeners, if you would like to join the conversation, we welcome you to give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can give a call in during any of our segments and ask questions of us or of our guests. You can also tweet at, I think that's the verb, tweet at us, at BizBiz Radio 132 or at Wharton Social. So without further ado, we're going to give a little bit of a rundown of the great conversations we're going to be having today. First, we're going to talk to Taib Smith. Taib is the senior principal at Little Giant Creative, among many other things. Um, the company is a full-service creative agency that works with local and national companies and institutions to develop and execute custom brands, strategies, and events. And I feel like that description is a little more sterile than the like rich, colorful dialogue we are sure to have with this guest who is in studio with us here. Next, we're going to talk to Miriam Altman. She's the CEO and co-founder of Kinvolved. So as the name suggests, this is involved kin, uh, getting families involved um, in the issues around absenteeism in schools. Huge issue, larger than I knew when I prepped for this episode. Then we're going to talk to Emily Barnman. Emily Barnman is a professor as well as the associate dean at the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences at Boston University. She really focuses on socially oriented behavior, and we're going to talk a little bit about her research and the applicability of that to uh, the work our listeners are doing, to the work we're doing. And then finally, we're going to wrap with Katie Kaufman. Katie is the managing director for the Global Women's Issues at OPIC, which is the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. 
you know, Sandy, I'm going to just throw in that as we look at these guests, and this is also one of the things that's always interesting about our show, uh, we're really pulling from every sector. So we have folks here who are, uh, you know, coming from the for-profit world, the non-profit world, from education and from government all. And, you know, we often talk about the, the strategies and the, the importance of of you know, cross-sector strategies and social impact, we have cross-sector guests. Yes, indeedy. And so there's something for everyone. And thanks for being with us, listeners. Let's jump into our first conversation. Taib Smith, Senior Principal, Little Giant Creative. Welcome into the studio and to Dollars and Change. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you here. So before we jump into the great work that you do, I think Catherine and I are fascinated with the person you are and your Mm -hmm. story. So take a minute or two and tell our listeners, what has brought you to the studio today in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of minutes here? Give us the journey of, uh, of what you're out to do in the world. Hmm. That's, uh, that's pretty broad, but I'd just say, uh, first, I'm a third-generation Philadelphian. Um, I consider myself to be civically engaged. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, um, and I, that's complex in the sense that I, my partner, Megan Denenberg, and I have a... Um, a suite of companies that um, have a shared ethos or long-term goal. And essentially, um, we're really focused on creating opportunity, um, building platforms, um, nurturing ecosystems that create equity for people of color and people who have been historically excluded from the 20th century economy and the 21st century economy. Fascinating. And, and um, you, you began with you are a third generation Philadelphian. So is this work about where you're driven to increase equity in Philadelphia? Is your focus Philadelphia? Focus- no, not at all. So um, that's a really interesting segue. I don't know how far down the rabbit hole we'll go with that. but We have so many ways we can go. <laughs> so like years ago, um, I used to, to rant a lot um, when I'd be walking around Northern Liberties or West Philadelphia mm-hmm. or like um, the Passyunk Avenue area or parts of Side Hill that used to be known as the Seventh Ward, that um, you know, W.D. Boys did the first um, anthropological study about urban environments, which was also the corridor that created the first black-owned bank, the first black hospitals, the Institute of Colored Youth, which became Cheney University, which was the first academic institution in the Western Hemisphere dedicated to people of color before emancipation. So, like, when I say I'm a third-generation Philadelphian, I'm really um, connected to that history. So my great-grandfather moved to Philadelphia in 1921 from North Carolina. Mm. Um, In the Great Migration, his family, um, through history, were killed for their land, and they were sharecroppers. Um, So these oral stories that were told to me by my, my mother and my aunts and my grandmothers, and then knowing, you know, my father's history. As being a student of history and um, being connected to contemporary issues of black and brown people being displaced, and then through my own um, both lived experience and research, learning about everything from the Housing Act to urban renewal to um, black men being denied the um, DI bill, um, or housing loans, you know, to summarize, I, I often, even when talking either to philanthropy or municipal staffs or political representatives, I feel like the canary in the coal mine. Mm. Um, or I feel like, you know, screaming, like how much has, has really changed? Um, 
Yeah. Right. Can you... Um, can you tell us, so, you know, you, you described your personal history and your family background, and you described, you know, real policies of exclusion in this country and in and, and, uh, Philadelphia. And I think with these policies of exclusion, you know, we have moments of great optimism as we try to combat those, whether it's the civil rights era or, you know, what, whatever it is. And one could say opportunity zones today. Um, but your strategy of engagement, your tool of engagement is is business and, and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Why? Okay, so um, my mother taught me to always have an understanding that no one's going to have your best interest in high regard more than you. So whether that's institution, mm-hmm. um, and that could be academic, that could be, you know, spiritual institutions, um, that could be municipal, and entrepreneurship... Um, or having control over your own uh, fiscal destiny is, you know, is essentially how you have freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I, I've had a very um, non-traditional trajectory into business ownership. Um, and I think, honestly, if I had tried to go a traditional route, um, I wouldn't have um, whatever successes I, I have mm-hmm. today. And so what, you know, what was the moment or the season of life that spurred you to take the passion you clearly have and have had for these issues and turn it into a venture? Uh, you mentioned a non-traditional path. We talked to all sorts of entrepreneurs. So I don't even know what the traditional path is these days for entrepreneurship. But what took you to launching ventures and sort of putting stake in the ground as this as your um, theory of change? You know that that's that's complicated. I almost wish Megan was here to to help me answer that because um, memory is, is um, betrays you. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, particularly like I I read a lot of books or I, you know I I've been on the entrepreneur circuit and sometimes I hear people will wax poetic about their histories and I'm like, come on, dude, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> well, let, me, so, let me frame. I can frame it in, in, in I think a uh, easier or maybe more clear way. What was your first venture? Uh, oh, um. So, Maybe not easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like I didn't. So I've been um, figuring out ways to make money outside of traditional systems for as long as I can remember. So I, I think probably my first venture was me and my group of friends used to throw parties when we were we were kids, um, you know. And then I would say from that when I was prior to actually being in the music business because I spent about. 10 or 15 years oh, wow. in, the, in the music business. It was doing events or um, throwing parties that became raves, so on and so forth. Um, and then I, I produced concerts. Um, and then I, I worked for a small production company called Access Music Group that um, did music for people like The Roots, Erica Badu, uh, D'Angelo, um, with a couple of partners who were based in Philadelphia. And then after that, I started doing things under the mantra Little Giant. And a, um, a previous business partner um, wanted to start a magazine. And we um, we launched this magazine in like 2006, 2007 called 215 Magazine. And I decided to use Little Giant as the parent company. So the magazine existed probably for about two or three years. Um, and Little Giant Creative evolved from that when... Um, I bought my previous partner out, Megan, became my primary partner in all of my business initiatives. Um, 
So yeah, and there's probably some ventures or like some small business ideas I had that I've already forgotten about. A true, a true <laughs> entrepreneur. I yeah. think this this captures it, right? There's so many, it's, it's hard to, to count. So tell us, what is Little Giant Creative? So we're in... Um, creative agency. We, we've evolved um, a lot over like the last uh, 11 or 12 years. Um, but client that has been most consistent for about 10 is Heineken USA. So we have a proprietary platform event series that we do for them called Heineken Green Room that um, has been in Philly, I think 10 years and in New York, maybe five or six. Um, then we also have clients like Temple University. We've worked with Drexel, Dornside Center. We've worked with um, Penn Medicine. And, and what do you do for your clients? What are your, what's the core, you know, what's the core offering? That, that, that depends on, on the ask. You uh-huh. know, that could be custom publishing. That could be consulting. That could be helping them come up with a strategic vision. And they come to us either through relationships, knowing some of our, you know, our own pilot mm-hmm. initiatives. Um, but it's, you know, over a decade, it's, it's been really varied. Right. And you've talked about these clients who are, you know, traditional, big in a variety of ways. And you've talked about your mission to promote equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Are your clients coming to you and saying, help us advertise, help us grow, help us publicize ourselves in a way that is demonstrates our commitment to inclusion in a way that um, increases our inclusiveness? So that's complicated, and I should probably segue into Creative Cities Lab, which is an umbrella of initiatives that um, we've started. We had some philanthropic partnerships, but um, kind of started with our own resources. Um, But I, I think in the beginning, it came through a lens of what we would define as cultural competency, mm. right? So um, to target, um, let's say, African-American males from 24 to 34, right? And that's from just from a, a business perspective because that's a very influential market. Traditionally, um, brands would go for what they call general market, and historically that's meant white men from 21 to 29. As we've become a more diverse um world, yep. um, more inclusive world. So in the United States, the average pers- white person is 57. The average black or Asian is 26. The average Latino is nine. If you're a Fortune 500 company and you don't have the un- the understanding of how to communicate to diverse audiences in a nuanced way, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had not heard those statistics framed as such. The average white person is 56. 57. 57. Yeah. Uh, average African-American? 26. 26. Asian, An average Latina? Uh, nine. Latino? Nine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's I, that, real, that is a really powerful um, yeah. Simple. way Simple to frame and powerful. that. Yeah. 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 So to kind of go back to um, the differential in your question from um, perspective, I think a lot of our learning um, came to being aware that as an agency that is um, owned by a Korean-American woman and an African-American man, um, culture competency, and our creative director is um, of Latino descent. Like our our intersectional perspective is um, very nuanced and throughout and through the line. So when companies that, um, you know, from their trustees to the investors in their capital stack um, to their administrative staff 
all come from kind of like a monolithic um, homogenous background. Um, yeah. um, there's a certain worldview that you're going to have, mm-hmm. and that does you a disadvantage on, on certain levels. Yeah. Um, so to go back to the equity side, mm-hmm. um, that comes more from our passion in finding where um, you can find intersection mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. mutual gain. Right. Um, is an evolving process. Fascinating. I just want to remind our listeners, you are listening to Dollars and Change here on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're having a fascinating conversation here with Taib about, um, you know, right now sort of how um, he's helping brands um, to be more inclusive. And I'm wondering, Taib, if you could tell us a story. You talked about the Heineken Green Rooms, but you're being modest about the list of clients, Adidas, Remy Martin, you know, Penn Medicine, Red Bull, Vitamin Water, the Knight Foundation. These are huge brands. What's a, a story that would help illustrate, um, you know, the value of diversity you brought to these groups that you think would, uh, you know, paint a picture for our listeners? Okay, so um, the last one you mentioned was Knight Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we won the Night Cities Challenge in 2016 and 2017. Um, 2016, we won for a pilot initiative called the Institute of Hip Hop Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. People can check it out at ihhe.org. Um, and that is, was essentially an accelerator incubator um, using the language and the history of hip hop over nine months um, with each month having a different focus and helping people understand some of the hurdles that you might have um, in starting a business. So not necessarily for hip-hop artists. Oh, for, not, does, uh, not yes. at all. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. So and, and that, that brings up an interesting point. So we only had two months to find our cohort. For 24 slots, we had 300 applicants. Wow. Um, you know, that just speaks to... Um, the desire. Right. And the applicants um, range from 18 to 34. Yeah. All right? And they all had um, brilliant ideas, but not the resources to bring them to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one one project, and I could deep dive about and Can you that. give an example of one of the nine sort of dimensions you referenced there? Um, there's a young woman named Kyrie Holmes. She has a company called Onyx Valley. Um, she's a UX designer okay. at a big corporation here in Philadelphia. And, and for our listeners who aren't familiar, that's user experience. Yes. So, okay. um, and she's probably one of the only African-American women in her department uh, of 100. So she, similar to the Institute, created a program um, to help people who are in high school and college prepare or be aware of opportunities in technology. Yeah. And I love that it's not only prepare, but be aware. That's mm-hmm. so much a part of the career trajectory is just, you know, knowing what jobs are out there and what they, you know, what that work looks like, et cetera. Very cool. So that, that that's a really powerful. So people need to mirror neuron like opportunity, right? So when we think about tech, when we think about startup, if someone had a stereotype in their mind, they would probably think of Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm, sure. and a handful of other entrepreneurs. If someone were to think of um, an entertainer or an athlete, they could probably think of a lot of African Americans. So when I go into schools and um, teachers try to explain to um, young people what I do, they ask me um, very narrow questions. 
Like what? Um, do you know famous people? Mm-hmm. And what kind of car do you drive? And I, I've I've just seen that if you don't see people doing something that you desire, yep. it um, it almost you can't you can't imagine it. you can't yeah. dream it yeah. Yeah. you can't yeah. dream it. I have to a, a quick aside. I got pulled over, which I'm not proud to admit. So I was <laughs> on the phone. I mean, I, I had to take my son to the dentist. Was calling my husband to give him an update, and we got pulled over because I was actively on a cell phone while driving. Shame on me. And it was a female police officer. Uh-huh. And the first thing I said was, oh, you're the first police officer my son is meeting. I'm so glad you're a woman. <laughs> because, no, you know, right. there's this, you know, every police officer in his books is a man kind of right. thing. And I thought, oh, this is really fun. And she was sort of entertained by I, that. I, um, I was kind of triggered when you said you felt bad. I assumed you were innocent when you were pulled over by police. Yeah. Oh, no, that was 100% on the phone. I will, Dif- I will own that. But I, was, I thought, hey, you know, and now, you know, th- those are very formative we have neighbors. Uh, the the mothers are attorneys. Yeah. And, uh, to to two of our neighbors, and the little boys, their sons, uh, once met a man who was an attorney, and they said, "You can't be an attorney. You're mm. a guy." Mm. Wow! And yeah. so, but it just shows you when you have those childhood experiences, mm. they do frame and norm what yeah. you think is possible and yeah. who you think is what, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No, I will. I will just throw one more in there. Uh, in the, I've been traveling a fair amount recently, and I'm pretty. It was the last flight. I think it was the last flight I took. And you know, then the pilot is standing at the door as you leave the plane. Mm. You exit mm. the plane, uh, and the pilot was an African American man, mm. and and I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, you know, which is probably statistically correct, but I wasn't even aware that mm-hmm. I had. I wasn't even aware that I had this stereotype in my head. Um, you know, it's always interesting. And, yeah. and to your point, you know, the kids, all these things trigger thoughts in kids not, and, and adults yes. about what are possible careers, what are mm. possible avenues, what are possible opportunities, yeah. <laughs> what and, can and, I pursue? And less than a few episodes of this show go by without me plugging the um, implicit bias tests that you can take free online to sort of illuminate some right. of these biases. So I'm, I'm sorry, but I, f- I forgot. Um, got slipped off track. No worries. So t- <laughs> we did that we to you. T- we yeah. drug you off track. Yeah. 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 So t- I had mentioned the Institute of Hip Hop Entrepreneurship. Yes. Also with Knight Foundation, we won the 2017 Knights Challenge, and that was for a project called the Dream, A uh, Dream Deferred. Mm. And it was an art exhibit that still exists in our um, incubator space, IF Lab, um, that looked at the history of redlining in Philadelphia. Um, and the compounded impacts of divestment in black and brown communities. Um, So that was a 26-city idea challenge, Mm. um, and there were 4,500 applicants a year. Then it gets down to 150 finalists, and then they broke up, I think, $5 million a year um, across 40 projects. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, So that's like an example of how we as a for-profit um, through a challenge, grant opportunity, um, worked with a, a philanthropic organization um, to reach an audience of people and convey stories that um, if you didn't have lived experience and perspective, you might not bring to fruition. Right. right. So we've got probably four or five minutes here left in this segment. And I want to see if you would be willing to provide some business advice to our listeners. Um, you know, your firm takes, you know, brings this diversity of thought and sort of, um, I hope I'm not oversimplifying things in that statement, but helping brands to reach audiences that perhaps they um, don't themselves represent in their mm-hmm. leadership. 
Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our listeners are not quite at the CEO of Heineken scale, um, but recognizing the power of the trends you talked about uh, and the importance and the value of diversity and the beauty of diversity, what would be some recommended actions that you would suggest listeners take to you know, start to have a more inclusive perspective? What are some things that they can do if they can't you know, get on your agenda and hire and hire you guys um, to start to, you know, uh, bring in some of that inclusion and diversity perspective into their work. So I would say think about the demographics that that I described. Um, I would also add that it's estimated that by 2043, median black household income is on pace to reach zero. By 2053. Wow. You know, I also... Wait. There's, Restate that. That is by 2043, median household capital, yeah, accessibility capital is like at zero. Um, or so I I should probably also add that um, there's like a 10x differential in median um, capital in in households between white households and black households, and that's directly related right. to all the policies that we described. So that translates anywhere from like $4,500 to $9,000 versus on average 114 to $140. All right, so then go back to the demographics of age, the um, evolving complexity of cities, the issues of hypergentrification. Um, so think of that. Mm-hmm. Look at your trustees. Look at your investments. Look at the, um, you know, not just your HR or your PR staff, but like, do you have through the line diversity? Are and do you have a social impact agenda? Mm-hmm. You know, do you have a strategic vision for equity within your in your company? And start to ask, you know, hard questions. Mm-hmm. Do you think it requires? additional investment in terms of time and energy to sort of reach these aims? I I mean, absolutely. But I I think, um, you know, there's all kinds of ways that intrinsic bias Mm -hmm. can make you believe what you're seeing is not true. So if you don't, you know, if if you're not really trying to make transformative change um, through the line throughout your organization, all these concepts of benevolence and um, the language, the evolving language of social impact, um, oftentimes to people who have the lived experience of poverty, is just rhetoric. Mm. Right? And we have to be more honest about that. Um, not to get to dive too deeply in anyone's business, but if you look at the Varsity Blue scandal and mm-hmm. um, what happened with the gentleman from the, the Rise Impact mm-hmm. Fund, right. you know, like we need to really have a wake-up call in America and be more honest. In reality, I think I read recently that um, non-white schools are undercapitalized by $23 billion, you know, nationally. All right? But then we have... All of us have this. These uh, are universities or yeah, colleges and universities or public schools? Grade schools. schools. Yeah, mm. public schools. So um, we're all um, kind of propagandized with ideas of meritocracy. Yeah. But if you follow data, if you're a student of history, you know, meritocracy is, you know, propaganda. Um, so if, if you're not trying to ask harder questions if you're not making transformative change within the structure of your organization. 
Um, if, and we really need to be in an age of doubling down on expanding opportunity, you know, and not just in opportunity zones, but in <laughs> right, genuine right. opportunity, yep. you know, it's like, right. so how does that look? Like, what is the, um, impact strategy to get, to get from 60th street or 52nd street? Like I was when I was a kid mm-hmm. to the university of Pennsylvania, you right. know, what is our cradle to career path, mm-hmm. you know, um, and how, you know, so Penn, I'm still sitting in the middle of Penn's campus, has like approximately a $14.5 billion endowment. It borders 30% poverty, you know, that's as high as, you know, 35% poverty over in Mantua. Yeah. Um, right. What and can you do in walking distance to make change? Yeah. Well, it's something we think about a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, and I, and I don't think we have the answers that we don't have as clear answers as we would like. So I appreciate you asking the, the, the tough questions. Keep mm-hmm. asking them. Yeah. Cool. Keep asking us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they're, they're important questions. Um, any other takeaways that you'd like to, you know, use this broad listenership to, to share? Um, check us out at littlegiantcreative.com. Uh, so my partner, Megan Denenberg, has a project called Women-Led Cities. You should probably have her come talk about that. All right. I don't, don't want to mansplain anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Creative Cities Lab is which we house Urban Share Junkets, an interdisciplinary tour um, in the City Exchange, um, exploring best practices in hard-hit communities. Um, and we have a new space in Harrogate, which is just north of Kensington, okay. called If Lab, um, that just opened as a pilot. So check us out online. Yeah. Uh, oh, and I'm 215-T-A-Y-Y-I-B. You can find me anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's your that's your like Twitter handle. I thought you were actually just giving out your phone number because two one five is Philadelphia's area code. I thought, no. All right, not very really approachable guy. I would never. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your Thanks time. For We've really me. enjoyed this conversation, and as we predicted, the challenge was fitting it all in yes. and prioritizing yes. what to cover in this in this awesome segment. Taib Smith, senior principal at Little Giant Creative among many other things, as you heard. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Thanks. Please stick with us, listeners. When we get back, we'll talk to Miriam Altman. She's the CEO and co-founder of Kinvolved, and will be joining us for another exciting conversation here on Dollars and Change, Sirius XM, Channel 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 